get us all posted up here. Uh, we're going to dig into a message this morning. It's probably going to take a little bit. I, this is not something I normally do. Um, I try to keep these kind of short and to the point, but I've got a message that I have sat on and sat on and sat on, and I cannot sit on it anymore. Um, <laughs> this is something I, I actually put together quite some time ago now, and, and I have gone to it multiple times. I've tweaked it a couple of times, but for whatever reason, God's never let me release this. This isn't, this isn't something that I've created. Um, I actually took this from some, some reading I was doing, um, but, it, but it, I believe it's so relevant to where we are today that now I don't believe I can stay out of it. I'm going to have to get into this. There will probably be more come from this message eventually. Um, I've got to read some more of the book. <laughs> but, but what I want to share with you today, this is, out of, this is taken from an excerpt from, <clears throat> excuse me, from Francis Chan's until unity uh, pastor of our local church pastor larry huff had had made a comment about this book quite some time ago in one of his messages and from his comment it piqued my interest so i, I went digging i found the book i bought the book and i have literally not made it out of the introduction the the, the message that you're about to hear today is coming from the introduction to francis chan's until unity I, I, I would encourage you if, if you are a if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're a minister, uh, if you're someone who strongly believes in in where the body of Christ needs to be today, which is all of us, <laughs> this is a good book. This is worthy of a read. Um, I, I don't tout a lot of books. I've got some perfect you know some some writers that I really like. Um, I spend a lot of time in some of their books. I have I have written messages out of Tommy Tenney's stuff, uh, John Bevere's stuff, Francis Chan's stuff multiple times, uh, Rick Joyner's. I mean, there there are some writers that have some incredible books that will that will deepen our relationship. I'm not looking for a fix it. I'm not looking for a name it claim it. I'm looking for something that will challenge me spiritually to go deeper with where God wants me to be. This is one of those messages. So today, we're going to climb into how do we win this war? It's a good title. Yes, I believe this life that we are in a war. Certainly we're in a war. We, we understand the, the, this chaotic mess we live in today, that we are in the midst of a battle. We're in the midst of a war. Battles rage around us every day, and it starts the moment our eyes open. Often it carries on through our dreams at night. We are at war. We've got to learn how to win, and we've got to learn how to fight these battles appropriately. The most important part of this message is learning to fight these battles appropriately. Answer me this. How much time did you spend praising the Lord this morning when you woke up? It's a valid question. You, you've heard me mention um, a, a book that I have not read. I just like the title. And it's from Benny Hinn, going, and the title of that book is Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And one of the things that Benny Hinn says right in the midst of that opening is, Good morning, Holy Spirit. What are we going to do today? He greets the Holy Spirit. How much time this morning have you spent just praising the Lord, just being in His presence? I'm not talking about asking for something. I'm not talking about... Um, asking for you know for God to bless us. I'm not talking to ask Him to heal us. You know, I often cry out to the Lord to help me get out of bed. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, some of those mornings. But I'm 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 literally asking you, how much time did you spend 
praising God this morning when you woke up? How much time did you stand staring at Jesus? Have you ever done that? Have you ever just thought about an image of Christ and literally just lost yourself in awe and reverence of, of, of the, the body of Christ, the, the very inerrant being of Christ himself? Have you ever considered your mind picturing an image of Christ and, and just losing yourself in awe and wonder? Have you ever just sat and told him how amazing he is? I love sitting on my back porch swing. Ron and I spend a lot of time back there when we're when we're able to be together. This is this is our place, man. We love the peace of that country. But what happens when you sit in God's atmosphere is you wind up just wondering about creation. You 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 find I find myself anyway in this awe of how amazing God created all these little intricate details. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, when you really think about how awesome God is, it it can take us to that place where we just sit in awe of him. Thinking of all the blessings that we've had in our life. Have you ever just contemplated all the things that God has done for you over the time? You ever just sat and told him exactly how amazing he truly is to you? You you do realize that, that in the beginnings of our life, we're God's enemy. We're born into sin. So so we're born sinners, right? We're, we're born into sin. So sin makes us an enemy of the Lord. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about being an enemy of God? Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you're not a, if you're not a born again believer, if you've not surrendered your life to Christ, if you've not accepted him as Lord and Savior in your life, you're an enemy of God, the creator of this universe. That's something to consider. <laughs> we're destined to face his wrath. I mean, God can't even look upon sin is what the word says. So we're destined to face his wrath unless we're surrendered to Christ. See, the, the blood of Jesus washes us clean. It covers our sin. So, so when we accept Christ into our life, God no longer sees us, the sinner. He sees us, the son, the heir to the throne. Because the blood of Jesus covers us and creates a bond, creates a family connection, creates a bloodline to God himself. That's incredible. That, that's worthy of a message right there. <laughs> if you're not surrendered to Christ, you're, <clears throat> if you are surrendered to Christ, you are now reconciled with God and adopted as his child. We ought to praise him for that. I mean, we just bypassed God's wrath by having a bloodline connection to him. There's nothing to do in this day that is anywhere more important than worshiping the Lord because he saved us, because he's blessed us, because he's given us another day, because he's given us another opportunity to serve him. I understand that that this isn't a place where we just do a head nod. You know, you sit in churches, right? You hear pastors calling for an amen. This, this isn't a place to just give an amen. This isn't a place to just go, yep, mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. This is something where we marvel at the fact that God and his Holy Spirit live inside of us, and, and we desperately need to worship him as our creator and our God. God created us to worship him. He created us to be in fellowship with him. He created us to have a living, breathing, personal relationship with him. That's the purpose of us. 
to have this created, living, breathing relationship with, with God the Father. God gave us breath. The very breath you're breathing right now is because, is because God gave it to you. How, how about we use our next breath for its intended purpose? And we just praise the Lord. Our, our lack of praise is actually the biggest cause of division in our lives. It, it's actually the lack of praise is the biggest cause of division in our families. And it's the biggest cause of division in our churches and even in our society today. Once we stop worshiping, all hope for unity is lost. Have you ever been to a corporate worship service? We used to do them in youth. Uh, when I was youth pastor in Durango, uh, one of the churches had a real cool youth band. And, and we would gather all the, you know, a bunch of the youth groups from the area, from all denominations, all walks, would gather in one place and we would just have a night of worship. You know how cool it is to watch the, the unity of worship? I, I know churches do this all over the country where they, they maybe once a month or you know, there, there's a periodic time where a bunch of them will come together and just for a night of worship. Just blending family is all we're doing. It's, it's kind of like a family reunion. You know, we don't live with all of them. We don't have to see them all every day. You know, we don't rub shoulders with them every day. But every once in a while, we gather together. And, and in unity, we enjoy the presence of God together. How cool is that? But, but we, we, we've lost that element. And once we've lost the element of unity, all hope is lost. Praise is what unites us. We can't stop talking about the treasure we have in Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? Have you, ever, have you ever been around people that are just bubbling full of joy because God's blessed them and they just can't stop talking about it? How cool is that? It's hard to start an argument with someone who's on their knees shouting praise to Jesus. How about that? I mean, could you, could you be mad at someone? Could you continue to, to, to be mad if you find them on their knees praising the Lord? How about this? It would be even more difficult to, to get angry or start an argument with someone who's actually praising the Lord if we, in fact, were also praising the Lord as well. You understand how hard it would be to argue with someone when we're both in that perspective? I know it sounds silly, but think about it for a minute. There's all kinds of scripture about you know useless arguments. We spend a lot of time there. Many of our problems could be reconciled if we discussed our concerns on our knees before a holy God. Oftentimes, when, when we find ourselves riled up at someone, we really probably ought to investigate us first before we start throwing rocks at someone else. Remember what Jesus said? Let you without sin throw the first stone. And then he said, ma'am, where are your accusers? Because everybody disappeared. Romans chapter 5, verse 10, talks about being reconciled to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, For if, we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, it is much more certain, having been reconciled, that we will be saved from the consequences of sin by his life. That is, we will be saved because Christ lives today. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God, rejoicing in his love and perfection through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received and enjoy our reconciliation with God. When we are in him, we are reconciled to God. Blood of Jesus covers us. Ephesians chapter 2 goes on to talk about the, the, this lost, but, but now we're found. 
We once were lost, but now we're found. It's Ephesians 2, verse 3 and 4. I, I'm going to give you some references because I've got a pile of Scripture, and I, it would take a long time for me to get through this message if I read all of these to you. So I'm going to give you some references. I, I encourage you to go look these up. Many of these are refrigerator Scriptures like we talk. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 talks about being lost, but now we're found. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25 says that we were all sinners. I mean, we know that since we have all sinned, continually fall short of the glory of God. That's a, that's a common scripture. Most of you will recognize that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25. How about 1 John chapter 3, verse 1? We are children of God. We're a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Christ who knew no sin to judicially be sin on our behalf. He made Christ be sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. First John, or, uh, John chapter 14, verse 21 through 23 says, If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. If we truly have a love relationship with Jesus Christ, keeping his commandments shouldn't be that difficult. Right? I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's obeying the rules. That's, that's what John 14, verse 21 through 23 talks about. If we, are, if we fill our heart with worship and we keep it, you and I are part of an outrageous love story. You understand that? If, if our heart's full of worship and, and we keep it because you and I are part of this, this incredible love story that God has written, once we lose our fascination, we lose our effectiveness. Our words end up doing more harm than good. But with a heart of thanksgiving, we can address any issue. We have to be in the right perspective. We are currently the most divided faith group on earth, and there isn't a close second. We have thousands of denominations and ministries, each believing their own theology or own methodology, and, and we all think it's superior to the other. The saddest part of this is that our Savior was crucified to end our divisions. He commanded us to be united, and he says that we'll impact the world when we become one. Wow. I mean, that came from the man who gave his life for us so that we might have eternal life. What if we made it our goal to strive for a level of humility we've never had? We know what it means to be humble, right? Humility being, the, the actual word humility is as earth, as dirt, the lowest form, very drab, right? That's, that's the cloak of humility is something that's not attractive. It's, not, it's just drab. It covers us. We could spend our circle time on our knees crying out to God of truth, begging him to expose any pride or deception that has crept into our own lives. If we truly live under that mantle of humility, we can constantly be asking God to expose our pride, the, the deception that, we, that has crept into us. We need to stop thinking that our primary duty toward our fellow believer is to critique them. <laughs> this is going to kick some people in the shin. We need to stop thinking that our primary duty toward our fellow believer is to critique them. It's not. Our primary duty is to love them. Paul says we owe a debt of love to each other, Romans 13, verse 8. Yet it seems we invest far more time in learning 
than loving. Honestly, evaluate the amount of time you spend acquiring information. We go to we're digging dirt on people all the time, right? I mean that that's we spend a lot of time digging dirt on folks. You know, we spend a lot of time. Well, what did he say about that? Did you hear what he said about that? Compared to the amount of time we spend asking God to increase our love for His people, what if we spent the time we used digging dirt on folks and critiquing how someone's doing them? Just to, to asking God to increase my love for that person or those people. We treat our divisions like a national debt. It worsens every minute. But it doesn't affect our daily life, so we don't feel an urgency to change it. Did you, did you catch that? We treat our divisions like our national debt. It's, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, so we don't worry about it. We don't do anything to change it. And that's the root of our problem. We can't stop thinking about ourselves. This selfishness that has come into our society today, this relativism, this, this, this you owe me thing that goes on, we have forgotten how our impatience affects God in an unbelieving world. See, our casual dismissive attitude toward unity is incredibly dangerous for three reasons. One, God is disgusted with it. Two, the world is confused by it. We're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be the body of Christ. Yet we're gnawing at each other, cutting each other off, and throwing each other away. And third, it could be evidence that the Holy Spirit is not in us. Ouch. It could be evidence that the Holy Spirit's not in us. Oh, Lord, we're getting too deep in this. We've got a long ways to go. Sorry. Isaiah 66, 1 through 2 says, This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you could build for me? And where will my resting place be? For all these things my hand has made. So all these things came into being by and for me, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look graciously, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who reverently trembles at my word and honors my commands. That's really a powerful piece of scripture. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. You need to look that one up and dig into it a little deeper. The, the one who is humble and contrite, who reverently trembles at my word and honors my command, this one I will look graciously upon. Unity has been looked at as this cute topic for those who don't have the theological expertise to look into the deeper issues. Unity has been viewed as a soft option for those who don't care about truth. I urge you to let go of any of that mentality and simply tremble at each verse before a holy God. Only then, and, and when we take Scripture seriously, that we understand that God cares more about unity than any human being ever has. God, God cares more about unity than any of us have ever thought of caring about unity. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19 says, These six things the Lord hates. Indeed, seven are repulsive to him. A proud look, the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount, and discount others, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that creates wicked plans, feet that run swiftly to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, even half-truths, and one who spreads discord or rumors among brothers. Now, did you catch that first part? These six things the Lord hates, indeed even seven, 
are repulsive to him. All those things, I just, the, the proud look, this, this attitude of, of, of being better than someone else, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that creates wicked plans, feet that run swiftly to evil, and a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who spreads rumors. These things the Lord hates. They're repulsive to him. Why do we participate in any of that? But yet we do. Because our human culture, our human culture, this is where we run to. It's easier to critique someone. It's easier to badmouth someone. It's easier to pick out their negative than it is to find their positive. It takes more effort to dig into someone's positives, to speak boldly and positively about someone. It's easier to critique them. I know it, this message is preaching to me too. I've got my toes on a box this morning. John 17, 20 through 23 talks about being one with the Lord. Again, I'm going to let you dig some of these up yourself. That's John 17, verse 20 through 23, talks about being one with God. That That's impressive. We are to be one with God, one mind, one spirit, right? Um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, oh, I, the prisoner for the Lord, appeal to you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, and personal integrity and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. With all humility, forsaking self-righteousness, and gentleness, maintaining self-control. With patience, bearing with one another, and unselfish love. Make every effort to keep the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Each individual working together to make the whole successful. There is one body of believers and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when called to salvation, one God and Father of us all, who is sovereign over all and working through all and living in all. Wow. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Great passage of scripture. Romans 14, 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Before his own master, he stands approved or falls out of favor, and he who serves the master, the Lord, will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Who am I to judge the servant of another? It's not my place. Let God handle all that. Goodness, there's a bunch of scripture here. Titus chapter 3, 9 to 11. Avoid foolish and ill-informed and stupid controversies. <laughs> I'm just going to highlight some of these. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 28. We're all baptized into Christ. We're, we're, we're all together. We're anointed together. 1 Corinthians 1.10, But I urge you, believers, that by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in full agreement in what you say, and there be no divisions or factions among you, but that you be perfectly united in your way of thinking and in your judgment about matters of faith. We're to be united with other believers, not, not divisive. Philippians 2, 1-2. Therefore, is there any encouragement and comfort in Christ, as there certainly is in abundance? If there is any con consolation of love, if there is any fellowship that we share in the Spirit, if there is any uh, great depth of affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love toward one another, knit together in spirit, intent on one purpose, and living a life that reflects your faith and spreads the gospel, the good news regarding the salvation of Jesus Christ. Live to spread the word, his word, not some rumor mill. Romans, or that's Philippians 2, verse 1 through 2. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. 
Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus, our Lord, guide our steps. Let him guide your steps. May the Lord cause you to increase and excel and overflow in love for one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. Goodness, there's a lot here. Sorry. 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25. James chapter 3, 17 and 18. 1 John 2, 9 and 11. Again, such powerful passage of scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 through 12. I love this. I'm going to have to read this one. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That is the anointing sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins. Fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath. Beloved, if God so loved us in this incredible way, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another with unselfish concern, God abides in us. And his love, the love that is his essence, abides in us and is completed and perfected in us. Love one another. Quit the backbiting. Quit the critiquing. Quit looking for the negatives. Quit quit digging dirt on people and start asking God, how can I love them more? How can I help them? If someone's struggling in their life, how, God, open my eyes to say how I can help them become better. You've, you've positioned them here for such a time as this. So, God, how can, I, how can I help them achieve what you've given them to do? What, what an incredible thought, right? How can I enhance them? How can I better them? It's not about me. It's about helping someone else. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed, spiritually calm, with joy in God's favor are the makers and maintainers of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will express his character and be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Be a peacemaker. What what an incredible turn of events. If we, the body of Christ, began to be peacemakers instead of rumor mills, instead of backbiters, instead of critiquers, instead of dirt diggers, what if we began to be peacemakers? I told you this was going to get a little rough today. It's, oh, wow. Have you ever considered how someone on the outside might view us as Christians? You ever thought about that? How does the world see us? I mean, you can look on social media and begin to get a real quick reflection of how the world views spirituality today. Christians. I hate that label because everyone out here is a Christian today. I, I like to be referenced more as a follower of Christ. I want to walk in his footsteps. I don't want to wear a banner. I don't want to wear a label. God, help me be a follower of Christ. Can you imagine an unbeliever going online and trying to make sense of all the different denominations, all the church splits, the competitive advertising and the open slander that goes on between churches, between belief systems? It's it's continual. I, I, I will reflect that some bring it on themselves, okay? But there's a lot of backbiting that goes on in this. It might look like a family screaming frantically at each other while walking into an orphanage to meet kids wanting adoption. Think about that for a minute. Can you, can you imagine the loud family 
strolling into an orphanage and they're bickering and fighting and hollering at each other and pushing each other around, pulling everybody's hair, screaming at everybody. They're going in to adopt someone. Can you imagine the kids looking for an adoption? Do I want to be a part of that mess? That's kind of what church looks like today to the outsider, to the unbeliever. Why do they want to be a part of that mess? Ouch. Lord, we need to get a hold of this. There is a reason people aren't anxious to join our family. What picture of God are we showing the world? Whew. If the church is supposed to be a reflection of the image of God and the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing, it's no wonder that people are not attracted. We're not, we're kind of stinky. We're not a pleasing aroma in most cases today. The world currently hates us, not because we resemble Jesus. Boy, you need to catch this. The world currently hates us, not because we resemble Jesus, but because we don't. We are arrogant, and there's a serious disconnect between our beliefs and our actions. Scripture teaches that our influence on the world is directly tied to the unity we display. Meanwhile, we continue to publicly degrade one another, completely oblivious to how the world might see this. How do we appear to the world when we're just simply degrading each other? We continue to draw lines that make sense to us, but not to those watching does this bother us? It should. Don't forget that we are talking about real people headed for a real hell. Don't just lump everyone in the same vague group. We're talking about our friends. We're talking about our family. We're talking about people that we've seen on the street. We're talking about our neighbors. Real people headed for a real hell unless somehow they see Jesus in the right light. They're all glad that we're Christians and that Christianity works for us. But they don't see any need to be saved by Jesus. They don't even believe in a judgment day. Whew. According to Scripture, you need to catch this part. According to God's Word, according to Scripture, this belief would change if we, the church, we, the body of Christ, we, the followers of Jesus Christ, were united and working together instead of against each other. It's, it's kind of like, oh, I don't want to compare it this way, but it is. It's kind of like our government today. They, they, we spend so much time trying to defeat the other one, trying to outrun the other one, trying to outgun the other one, trying to outperform the other one, that we forget about the body itself and how it's affecting the body. We're tearing the body apart, just trying to be the lead. How about we unify this thing? How about we come together under one body, one headship? We're all in this thing together. I actually had a pastor one time when I was leaving a particular denomination, taking a job as a youth minister at a, at a um, non-denominated church. And his question to me was, why are you abandoning ship? I did not understand the question. I, I was younger, more immature, I guess. I wasn't really a young guy, but why am I abandoning ship? And I, and I literally told him, I, I don't understand your question. And he, and he said, why are you leaving this denomination? And my immediate response was, I thought we were all on the same boat. 
I mean, I'm, I'm just going to another ministry to minister to kids. I haven't changed my faith. I haven't changed my belief system. Does it matter the banner I wear over my head? Are we not all under one God, one spirit, one, one truth? As long as we're abiding under one truth, as long as we're seeking the same goals, as long as we're preaching Jesus Christ came and saved this world, as long as we're following the word of God, it doesn't matter what ship we're sailing on. We're all on the same boat. We're all on the same ocean. We're all going to the same destination. Bring the word of truth. Bring unity. And watch what God can do in our hearts and in our lives. Whew, mercy. I'm sorry this took forever. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. I, I pray that you go back and listen to this again. Try to take out those scriptures. Go look them up. Do some study in this message. Do do. I, I wish I could really take the time. I'm not one of those guys that likes to just sit here and yap forever. I want you to listen to this message again and again and again. Go get those scriptures. Study it out. Let God speak to you about where you are in your walk with him. Where are you? Are you on your knees? Are you waking up praising the Lord? Are you spending your days pursuing the worship of God? May God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for watching today. I pray God blesses you abundantly, and I pray that his blessings run you over, run you down, and he pours them into your lap uncontrollably. Amen. Rhonda and I love you. God bless you. We will talk to you again real soon.